Well, praise God. I hope that everyone had a happy Thanksgiving together with your families and friends. I just want to give him some thankfulness. Who's thankful to God for what he's done in your life? Thankful to the Lord for what he keeps doing in us? He's so good to us, isn't he? He's kind and he's merciful to us and we have so much to be thankful for. Do you realize we have so much to be thankful for? We do. We're so incredibly blessed and the Lord is so incredibly kind to us and merciful to us. Um, I just want to say some verses here. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, to always be joyful. Everybody say always. It says to never stop praying. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. In verse 18, be thankful in all circumstances. So always joyful, always praying, always thankful, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. His will for us is to be filled with a joy that Paul talks about, which is uh, it's not something that we can explain, right? It's an, it's an inexplainable joy that he had that we must have, and that we must pray without ceasing, amen, and be thankful, and it says it's actually God's will for us to have this heart and attitude. You can see in the Word, well, going all the way back to the journey from uh, Exodus, uh, from Egypt into the Promised Land, that that wilderness time, that what God really judged them for the most was to be that they were not thankful that they were not grateful, isn't it? We know that because the New Testament tells us that, that that's really the issue, that they didn't trust him. He had done all these miraculous things in their lives, and when things didn't go quite the way they thought, and they started complaining, when God heard their complaints, and you might think, man, their complaints were justified. And if I was there, I would probably be complaining with all of you because it was a tough scene right then and there in that, in that time. And yet... Uh, God judges them for complaining because his will for us is to see that God is always good, he's always kind, he's always merciful, he's always doing something. We just need to stop and reflect on him and not on our circumstances. In Psalm 107, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out, right? Your translation might say, then say so. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then say so. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies, for he has gathered the exiles from many lands, and he's gathered them from the east and the west and the north and the south. And in Philippians 4, also again, telling us to always be filled with joy, verse 4. Always be filled. I say again, rejoice. And then it says in Philippians 4, verse 6, don't worry about anything, pray about everything, tell God what you need, and thank Him for all He has done. And then it says that there's something that's promised. Who loves when God gives us some things that He's asking us to do, and then gives us a promise for what He'll do if we can do what He's asked us to. And He says, so then, once we have got this heart right that we're, we're not worrying, we're praying, and we're telling God what we need, we're thankful. It says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. 
His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It's amazing what God has done in our lives, isn't it? Do you ever stop and just reflect and realize what he's done in your life? I mean, the greatest gift of all is that he gave us salvation. He gave his blood on the cross. But he didn't stop there. Jesus has been doing things in your life from before you were even born. And from the moment you were born, even though you were cursing him, many were, were living in sin away from him. His kindness and his mercy was chasing after you, calling you into his kingdom. And that really is a picture of grace, which is without purchase. It's not something that you could earn. It's not something that you could do. Really, you have to go and look at before you were saved or in your wandering times to really understand God's grace in your life, that he was so gracious to bring you into his kingdom. And then finally, we became one with him. So in the heart of Thanksgiving, I had been in my heart thinking this week about our first Thanksgiving and our roots, why Thanksgiving, why we do this. It was not made as, it was not a holiday that was created to spark the Christmas holiday. That's not why it started. It did not start so that we could uh, get obsessed with the shopping and the flyers and those things. Uh, that's not why we have Thanksgiving in this nation. And I, so I started to do my history, and you know, you think you know your history, and who remembers being a kid? I, know, I don't know what they teach in schools today. Uh, my kids are not in that school system, and so if you have kids there, maybe they tell you. But when I was a kid, you know, we, we made pilgrim hats and we made Indian feathers and, you know, celebrated that story. It was very well known that, that we, there was a feast between the pilgrims and the Indians and turkeys and things like that. Okay, so we all knew those things. I don't know what they're saying now, but I know that there's an assault. There's an assault on history. Do you know that? And they're trying to remove our history from everything. They're trying to remove God ultimately from it. That's why. The reason they want to erase our history is because no matter what they say, they're liars. I went back and I started reading the original documents. I found myself this week saying to Dan, for me to school you on what it was like to grow up in the 70s, because I think that I have a good understanding of it, would be ridiculous. I might have a good understanding of what it was like in the 70s, but here's a living person who grew up in that time, and I think the better account would not be what I think I know, but you know, because you were there. So sometimes the history writers are writing history based on whatever they think or feel and just, you know, just thinking that they know better than the people who were actually there. So I went and started reading some of the writings of the people who were there in 1608 and 1620, 1621. William Bradford, specifically, which I'm going to read a lot from him today, he was the governor. I think he would know better than us trying to rewrite history and saying this is what happened on that day. He's the first-hand account. And so on, I can find George Washington later on celebrating a Thanksgiving and Abraham Lincoln's words celebrating Thanksgiving. So there's a lot today that... Um, want to say that this nation was a heathen nation. There's a lot today that says that our, our purpose in this nation was all about capitalism, was about gains, it was about the gold in this land, and certainly we have blood on our hands, don't we? 
There is blood that we, and we have paid a price. Honestly, the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln said, he said it. I'm not going to quote all these things today, but he did say that he thought personally that this war might be, God allowed it because of the atrocities of slavery. And then he was on a quest to end it. So it's very ironic that, to, that we've turned, we try to, you know, hundreds of years later, try to turn our history around and try to rewrite and recreate what did not happen. And the reason I'm bringing this in today on a Sunday morning is because I believe that what happened here in America was an extension of the biblical story. It was literally just a continuation of saints of God, just like in Exodus, who were in a place that they believed in God, but it was a place without God, and God brought them into a promised land where they could worship him in freedom. And so I want to just bring us there. Who's willing to go with me for a little while? Uh, it's a whole bunch of history, but it's so interwoven with God that I said, this is not a history lesson. This is a Bible story. Wow. <laughs> a Bible story in America's history. So I just wanted to begin with this. And uh, some of this you guys may know. Some of it you may not. Some of it might be the first time you're hearing this. And the same thing went for me that some of this I knew was a review, and some of it I did not know. But um, let me start with this. In the early 1600s, we have to go back to England. To really understand what's going to happen here in America, you have to go back to England. And so in England, in the 1600s, there was this group of people. They're called the Puritans, or also called the Separatists. Now, they're going to later be called the pilgrims. It's no accident that they're called the pilgrims because they were God-fearing, word-based people, and they, uh, they actually, in their writings, really identified with the pilgrims, the pilgrimages of the Israelites. And so history won't tell you that that's why they're called the pilgrims. Pilgrim just means somebody who goes from one place to another. But if you really do your research, you're going to find that that's exactly why. But So in 1600 uh, England, it was actually illegal, believe it or not, to read the Word of God yourself. You could not read it. You had to go to a church and have a priest speak it to you. Now, that tradition has continued even into 2023 in certain denominations. It's not that it's illegal, but it's certainly um, still pressed upon the people that let us teach you. You don't need to read it yourself. We'll teach you everything. That's in both Protestant and Catholic. I'm not just pointing, but in certain denominations, it's still today pointed to a church system where you need to go to a place so you can hear them because they know best. So you can see that there was really an assault on the Word of God. But what happened is, is this Bible actually got leaked in. It was the Geneva Bible. And so what happened is, actually, people started reading the Bible themselves in secret. And this is why they were then called the separatists, because they separate from the Church of England to the official church. And they're in this pursuit not to just be rebels, but that they wanted to know God, to seek God, to read his word. And what happened is it started, this is, this is an actual quote from William Bradford, 
who led the Pilgrims, who later became the Pilgrims governor over in Massachusetts, you know, sometime later, this was his quote of what happened. He said, many had their hearts enlightened by the word of God, and they had their ignorance and sins discovered unto them, and by God's grace began to reform their lives. That's an actual quote from the actual guy. All right, so we don't need to make up a story that the pilgrims were seeking religious freedom. Because some people say today, no, that's not what the pilgrims were about. They wanted all the things that this new world could offer in commodity. I'm, I promise you we're going to get there. If that was what they were looking for, that's not what they found when they got here. And so that's an actual quote. So before they left and came to America, they're in England, and they actually tried to reform the church within England. And what happens is they actually have so much scorning and harassment and imprisonment that they decide it's time to flee this land. We really, it's not going to work here. Sometime later, England does have a bit of a reformation, but also you can see sometime later after that, England really abandoned God. So much of, um, of Europe did as well, just ends up becoming cold and abandoning God. So you can see that God was definitely in this, creating. Now, that doesn't mean that God is not available to them, and there weren't Christians still in, the, in, in Europe and still today, and God then sent people back there, right? But there was a time where God, it was hard to find God of the Bible. You could find God of the, of the of the church, but not God of the Bible. So they end up going to Holland, and I thought this was incredibly interesting. They, they went to Holland, and they were there for 12 years, and they found actually the freedom that they were looking for. But there was a problem, and you can really see what I really want us to get to today before I even get into this sermon is that God has a plan. I just want you to say it out loud. God has a plan. And I want you to say this, and it's not my plan. God has a plan, and it's not your plan. You might think you have a plan, and you might even think God has inspired your plan, but I promise you God's plan is on another level beyond your understanding. And he does put sparks and seeds inside you to want to do something. I need to make a change in my life. You might feel that spark, so we listen to God. We begin this journey with God, much like Abraham, and then so on with the other patriarchs, that they didn't know what God was going to do in their life, but they certainly had this spark inside, I need to follow you. And so in the same way, these separatists, these pilgrims, had a spark inside them. We want religious freedom, but they didn't know what that was going to mean yet. So they end up in Holland, and actually Holland was developed. They had no reason to come over here to to literally a wilderness, to a, a, a jungle at the time when they finally get here, to nothing. Uh, they didn't need to do that. Holland had factories, and it was being developed. But what they noticed, and, and, and they, were, they were still the poor class, but they had a life there. And their children were even working in the factories. But they actually noticed this, and I thought this was incredibly, uh, just so amazing. It's just unbelievable. They noticed, though, that Holland began to rub off on their children. So even though they had freedom, they noticed that their children started to change. Imagine, imagine this thing inside of us that says, 
even though this would be so easy to stay. And, you know, many of them did. Honestly, the only, it's such a big story, you know, this is the Thanksgiving story, and there was only about 50 separatists that actually came here. So it was actually, what happened is an entire congregation says, let's go. And I'm not going to get into all the little tiny bits of history here, but uh, eventually what happens is, and the reason there was some commerce going on is they made a deal. You know, you guys take, you guys have the ship, you guys can go for goods, and we'll travel together. So half of the ship was there for goods, half of the ship was there for God. We're going to work out together. You can do your own history and your own research. This is the Mayflower Compact. You know, they make a deal that we're going to work together to help each other. And so on they go. And here they are now traveling on the sea. And they're heading for, uh, it's known as Virginia, but back then our states were a little bit different. So believe it or not, they were actually headed for the base of the Hudson River. They're headed for right there at New York City. You know, it's, it's called Virginia because Virginia was a much bigger state. It was a region. And they're heading for there. But something happens. A wind comes, and they enter into a stormy season, and it was described as being so stormy that they had to hide down below. Their boat is leaking. I mean, they didn't think they were going to make it. And so because of this, they end up blowing off course. It, it ends up taking double the time that they plan on it taking, and they finally make landfall, you know, and if you're aiming from England, you know, to Virginia, or at least somewhere around New York City, and you end up all the way up in Cape Cod, and you don't have a plane, and you don't have our modern cars and highways, that must have seemed like, you know, so far away. And what they actually try to do is they realize they didn't make it, and so they actually try to sail south. And they get into another storm, and it will not let them move. And I began to just see, hear this story, and I began to see, wow, that God had a plan, didn't he? God wanted them where he wanted them. I find myself saying as a believer, and I say it to people all the time, you are who you are. I want you to say it out loud. This is not saying it in any mockery of God, but just say, I am who I am. I mean, that's who God said of himself. I am that I am, and it's honestly, you're, I'm not saying you're God, it's not sacri sacrilegious, is that the word? But you're, I am who I am, and you just, you are who you are. And if you will get on the path that God has for you, I'm not saying that everybody does what God's asked them to do, but if you get on his path and are willing to walk it and go, he has a plan for you, every single one of us. And sometimes he blows you off course from where you thought you were heading. Okay, this is it. We think it's Holland. We think it's reform. We think it's Holland. Okay, it's going to be Virginia. And they end up in the middle of nowhere with no other settlers. You know, they were going to meet others, uh, at least be settlers nearby. There's nobody here except for the Indians. And so they arrive here in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Everybody okay so far? Is this okay? It's such a God story. And so this is what they said. This is um, his actual writings. This is what Bradford said when they landed. He said, being thus arrived in a good harbor and brought safe to land, they fell upon their knees and blessed the God of heaven. Remember, these were just a bunch of merchants 
who wanted to just kill Indians and steal their goods. Right? That's what modern history tries to tell you. This is his actual writings. It says, They fell upon their knees and blessed the God of heaven who had brought them over the vast and furious ocean and delivered them from all the perils and miseries thereof again to set their feet on the firm and stable earth, their proper element. The first thing they did when they hit land is thank God they didn't look and say, when they did wonder, you know, why are we here? There's a, you can see in the writings, I, again, I'm just giving you a super abridged version here, but they, they wondered, you know, maybe this is, must be God, and they end up here. And this is what he says. He said, what could now sustain them but the Spirit of God and His grace? So the second thing that they tried to say is that not only is it not a godly nation, and not only was it not a, uh, a godly heritage and our forefathers godly, but then they try to say, okay, they mentioned God, but it wasn't Jesus. It was some sort of deism, just this idea that God exists, but who is he? Right? Who's heard this? And this is all a farce. It's a load of garbage. It's a load of garbage. Because he said, who could, this is a direct quote from the guy who did it, okay? I'm going to listen to him and not history rewritten. He said, what could sustain us but the spirit of God and his grace? May not and, and ought not the children of these fathers rightly say, our fathers were Englishmen, which came over this great ocean, and we were ready to perish in this wilderness. But they cried unto the Lord, and he heard their voice and looked on their adversity. Let them therefore praise the Lord because he is good, and his mercies endure forever. This is not some generic God. This is a direct quote from Psalm 107. He's quoting it within his writings that this is what he thought. He says, Let them which have been redeemed of the Lord show how he hath delivered them from the hand of the oppressor. When they wandered in the desert wilderness out of the way and found no city to dwell, and both hungry and thirsty, their soul was overwhelmed in them. Let them confess before the Lord his loving kindness and his wonderful works before the sons of men. These are the words he said when they got here. And this was the foundation to what was going to be not only Thanksgiving as a day, but the reason why they had their, such thankfulness. And then he said this. this is a, my third quote that I'm going to bring from him. It says, Thus, out of small beginnings, greater things have been produced by his hand that made all things of nothing, and gives being to all things that are. And as one small candle may light a thousand, so the light here kindled hath shone unto many. I know the English is a little old, but what he's basically saying is, is that it might look small, we might be nobodies, this might be just a little tiny thing, and this is just a candle, but that the Lord's going to do, he knew it, he could see it, he's almost prophesying it, that this is going to be the beginning to something great. And so uh, here they are uh, on 
uh, they end up in Provincetown, then they end up in Plymouth, and everybody knows that, right? Who's ever been to Plymouth Rock? There they are, That's because that's the Bay of Cape Cod, right? Provincetown's the first point, then they came in safety into Plymouth. And so they're here, which is great, and they know it's God, except it's November, and it's New England, and they have nothing. They have no food, you know, maybe a little bit left over, but they were double time on the boat, so not much, and there's not much gathering you can do in November. They have no shelter. They had to get out of, off the boat. They have to get on land. They couldn't stay on the boat. There's too much storms, and so what ends up happening is, who knows their history? I don't know if you do, but half of them die, including this man who just gets there and thanks God. He's actually, the reading I'm, I'm reading from is a book he writes in his life, he said, I tried to catalog it down as best I could of the, what happened moment by moment. And so he's actually writing with that much faith post what's about to happen, which is that that very first winter, even his own wife dies. So they leave everything behind. They leave their, their comforts. They leave the earth. They leave the earth as known. Just like Egypt, with all of its comforts, its cucumbers, the Bible says, right? They're obsessed with their cucumbers. And now they're in this wilderness. Where is God? Where is God? And why? And it would be a, certainly a good time to be ungrateful, to start complaining, to be unthankful. But something spectacular happens, again, outside of our understanding. This is something that I certainly could hear history having some major issues with. And honestly, just as a human being, as a man, what I'm about to say, I don't quite understand either. And yet God is God. I just want you to say it out loud. God is God. Something miraculous happens. A man, when they get to Plymouth and they get through this winter, there's a man who approaches them who speaks English from the Indians. How's that possible? How is this possible? And it actually is noted that it surprised them because here comes this tall English-speaking Indian. And it's, you have to go back in time a little bit further. The year is 1620, but let's go back a little bit further to 1608 or about. And what happened is another ship had gone there for goods. That was their purpose. And within that, they actually kidnapped a bunch of the Indians as slaves, and that was common practice in that time. And, and certainly, this is some of the blood on our hands, and yet God was in it, as you're about to hear. This Indian named Squanto is kidnapped by these English traders, and he's brought back over to Europe, but God had providence on Squanto, this young boy. He was just a boy. And he was purchased by some Spanish monks. Isn't God good? Now, it doesn't look like it in the moment when you're being kidnapped from your family and everything you know. But God actually has him purchased by Spanish monks who free him. And they treat him well, and they teach him Christian faith. Wow. He then is able to move 
and work. He's actually working in a stable for an Englishman at, in England. He goes to England, and he's working at a stable, and the, the Englishman actually has compassion on him, hears the story, and there's some varying accounts of quite how it happens, but one way or another, he ends up paying for his way, and he gets this Indian who was taken to be a slave. Now he's headed back to America in 1619, one year before the pilgrims get here. Here's Squanto now going back, knowing about the Christian faith, and knows English. That's pretty convenient, isn't it? Pretty coincidental. But something happens when he arrives back in Massachusetts. An epidemic had come. Some historians think that the epidemic could have been smallpox from the Englishman who had been there taking these people some time ago. He comes back and his whole family's gone. So finally this boy is back and everything that he knew is gone. It would have seemed pretty squashed, wouldn't you? I would think you could even seem pretty bitter, wouldn't you? And the next time you saw an Englishman and you have your Indians here on shore, you wouldn't be too friendly, would you? And yet, that wasn't God's plan. Everybody say, that wasn't God's plan. A year later, in 1620, a shipload of English families arrives, and they come and settle on the exact land where Squanto's people had lived. Now, here they are, and uh, this is what Bradford says of Squanto. This is it. So this is not just history making up a story. He said that he was a special instrument of God for their good. He actually comes to them. There's another English-speaking Indian who partially speaks English and says, and he had kind of learned English from the traders and the trappers, and that was a big trade. We were, we were coming even earlier in the 1500s, coming, taking furs and taking him back. And so it says that he showed us how to plant our corn. He showed us where to take fish and to procure other commodities. And he was also our pilot to bring us to unknown places for our profit and never left us until he died. That's pretty amazing. It says that Squanto served as their translator and he helped in the meeting with Massawat, who was the Native American chief of that region. And this is amazing. When Squanto lay dying of a fever, this is what Bradford wrote. Squanto said to Bradford to pray for him that he might go to the Englishman's God in heaven. And Squanto gave all his possessions to his English friends as remembrance of his love. I couldn't believe that. I mean, some of the story, you know, sometimes you, you know, think you know history when you really see the details and to see God in the story. Here's a boy who was taken from everything he knew, taken from his life, and here he is now. He's back here in his land, could have been bitter, could have been hard, and yet God had a plan for him. And obviously, reading from history and not from what we think, we would think, man, what an atrocity that we, we must owe these Indians something for what we did to Squanto. But meanwhile, the Bible says, uh, not the, the Bible, the story here, Bradford says that he prayed to go to the Englishman's God in heaven. And this is what it says in Genesis 45. Genesis 45, verse 5 says, Don't be upset 
And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me this, to this place. This is Joseph speaking, and Joseph's brothers. This is 17 years later. Joseph had also been stolen and taken as a slave, wasn't he? And Joseph unjustly had been enslaved and then imprisoned, but God had a plan, not just for Joseph, but God had a plan for the people that he was going to save. And God, we may not understand God's plans. We may not understand sometimes why, what has happened in your life. You may not understand why you've experienced the atrocities you have. You may not under, understand why you've been seemed like everything was stolen from you or you were stolen from the life you thought you should have. And even when God seems to give it back, it's not even in the way that you think that he owes you it back. And, and this is what the Bible says about Joseph, who, this is an amazing story. You have the Israelites, you have this pilgrimage, and you have all these continuations of really what God was doing in the Old Testament. You see such parallels in what he was doing in this new land. And so Joseph said, don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. And this is exactly what happened. This, this slave who had been taken from everything and everything taken from him is now the very person who is helping the pilgrims live. And that's just unbelievable. Verse 7 says, God sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And so in, in, in Squanto, I don't know that he said, quoted this exact verse to Bradford. I don't know that he said, hey, I can identify with Joseph. But in, in other words... He was basically, uh, had recognized that this is God, and God did this, and in fact, <clears throat> not only did God do it, but I recognize that he's the answer, he's what I need. And you know, sometimes, I thought this was amazing, we don't quite understand, and, and this will be a question that all of us have for God in eternity, how do the people that aren't reached how do, the, how do the people that have never heard the gospel hear the gospel? How, how do they? And I don't know. For the people that have never, ever, ever heard it, that's between them and God and out of God's grace and everything we know about God and know about his love and know about his mercy and his grace. I would believe that somehow, some way, God has given them the chance to understand. But what we do understand is that there was an entire nation of unreached people, and history wants to tell you that all we did was come here and kill everyone, when in fact what we came here to do was to reach a people that were unreached and to create a place where then we would also then send out. Do you know how many? We are the capital of the world. All the things the world tries to say about America, all the evils that we've committed and all the evils that we are, we have sent more mis missionaries and more resources to the world than any nation in history. In the history of the world, more has come from this place. And so these small beginnings where uh, were uh, small in their eyes and outside their understanding of what God was going to do in their time and in the next 400 years. Uh, similarly, when I, when I think of this story, I also think of, uh, I think of the Israelites, and I also think of one of my favorite stories, which is Paul 
the apostle in Acts 28, we're not going to put it on the screen, but Paul is uh, asking the Holy Spirit to go to Asia. That's where he wants to go. Who knows the story? And he, the, the Bible says the Holy Spirit prevented him. And the Bible says he, he tried to go a second time, and the Holy Spirit prevented him a second time. Well, not only does the Holy Spirit prevent him from going Asia, but Paul's story ends up going the opposite way. He ends up in chains on a prisoner ship heading towards Malta. Who knows your story, right? In Acts 28. Well, that's not enough. They end up in a storm, and, they're, and it, it's called a Euroclidon, which is, means from a storm from all sides. And for two weeks, their ship is completely battered. That they were not headed towards Malta. Let me just dial back. That's where they end up on, the, on, on Malta because the storm put them there. For two weeks, that's where God wanted their ship to be. And they, get, uh, they finally get to shore. The people welcome them. They start a fire to warm them up. The Bible says they were cold. And I'm sure you and I would be too after being in the ocean and being shipwrecked and being in a storm for two weeks. And so Paul, being a good uh, Christian man, you know, he could have been like, Lord, you've abandoned me. I'm in chains. I don't owe anybody anything. And he goes and gathers wood. And as he does, the Bible says because of the heat, a snake comes out. It was a venomous snake. And it bit him. And they said, wow, you thought you could survive. You must have done something really wrong because you survived as a prisoner all that carnage and you look, you're still going to die. And he doesn't die. And so they make note of it. And they see, wow, he doesn't die. Something to this guy. And so he, they invite him. The Bible says in Acts 28, it says that the chief official of the island, his father was ill with fever. So he prays for him, and he's healed. And then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. And as a result, they were showered with honors. And when it came time to sail, they supplied them with everything they would need for the trip. You know, we don't understand God, and we don't understand his plan. We think we do. We're asking God, Lord, isn't it your desire to do this? And we point our finger back in God and we say, God, but your word says this. And, and God, you've said this and you've done that. That's not wrong to pray those prayers. But then we need to step back and let God be sovereign. We can say, Lord, your word says you would never leave me. You never fail me. You never forsake me. And the answer is, yes, he doesn't. But just because it seems like he has failed you and forsaken you and all those things doesn't mean that he doesn't have a plan, we must then step back and say, I feel forsaken right now. Who has ever felt forsaken? Even though you know you're not, even though you know the word says it, he's not answering your prayer in the way or the shape or the form or the time that you expect him to. And yet God is still God, isn't he? For sake of time, um, wow, that, was, that took a long time, a lot longer than I expected. But so this is what happens. They, as you know, this, this is where history lines up with the true history. And, and basically what happens is they come together and it says, our harvest was so plentiful. Uh, this is a quote from Bradford's book, from his memoir. And it says that they went out and, they, and his men caught fowl. So probably turkeys and other things, other birds as well. Um, and the Indians brought deer, which was fun. 
And so about 90 um, uh, Indians with King Masuet came, and they have this three-day feast to celebrate their first harvest on their new land. And that is officially the first Thanksgiving. We don't know what exchanged, but um, some history says that they actually even had wrestling matches and even shot their weapons off, just like we would do having sports on Thanksgiving today, which is very interesting. But we do have something um, in 1623. They're now they actually have a plantation. They're actually working with the Indians, and something happens. They, come, they have a drought. You know, and sometimes we think God is in it. Okay, now we've gone through all the hard stuff. Now we can just sit back. Let's just trust God. We're here. Let's relax. And they have a drought just two years later, 1623, because everybody say God is still up to something. So what happens is, is God still wants to prove himself over and over again. Bradford writes, we may have become prideful. I'm thinking, become prideful. You guys have given up everything, but now just getting used to, this is our own crops, this is our own land, we got this figured out. I just thought that was incredible. When you really just read these men and women that have paved the way before us um, in, in for the gospel that we have today, for the freedoms we have today, it's unbelievable. These were truly men and women of God. This was not a heathen to think he became prideful. And so he says, he calls a day of fasting and prayer, Jeannie. And he says, and it says, at the end of the day, a gentle rain came that lasted for several days. And this is a quote from his book. It says, Hobamok, um, one of the other Indians who lived with them said, I like your God. Your God sends the rain when you humble yourselves. He then becomes a Christian and sets up his home across the creek from the pilgrims and lives with them the rest of his life. You think God doesn't care about those that one? The Bible says he leaves the 99 to go for the one. And sometimes we think it's all about us, and there was something inside them that just didn't sit right in England, something that wasn't right in Holland, something just wasn't right in Virginia. I want you here because I've got a Hobomic, or whatever his name is, you know, and no disrespect to him as a person. I just don't know your name. You in heaven. He's in heaven now because he called on the Lord, as did Squanto and many of the other Indians. And you see that God had a plan that was much greater than we understand. And it says this. It says, this is what he, he says uh, in response to what God did. He said, Inasmuch as the great Father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, peas, beans, squashes, garden vegetables, and he's made the forest abound with game in the sea and fish and clams, and, and as much as he has protected us from the ravages of the savages, and he's spared us from pestilence and disease, and he's granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. That's what they had been after all along. And now it's 1623. It had taken all of these years to finally now, this is the first time he proclaims that God had given them what they had really been seeking after. And so he says, Now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all you pilgrims with your wives and your, and your little ones do gather at your meeting house. I'm going to just change the yees to use. And the hill between the hours of 9 and 12 in the daytime on Thursday, November 29th, the year of the Lord, 1,000. 
623. In the third year since you pilgrims landed on Pilgrim Rock, there to listen to your pastor and render thanksgiving to your almighty God for his blessings. Thanksgiving was not actually, see, as a kid, we at least learned about the Indians and the pilgrims, but we learned that it was to thank the Indians for helping them and to thank the land for its, you know, what it produced. But here's the words from the guy. We don't have any words that he said on the very first time. We just know that they met together, and that's why I'm reading the first time that he said it, it's on Thursday. It's, on, it's obviously what it became modeled after. On November 29th, he said, Thanksgiving to God for all his blessings. Thanksgiving is not an American holiday. It was a, it was a holiday to God for his blessings. They were certainly thankful to the land. They were certainly thankful to Squanto and the other Indians. But ultimately, it was thankfulness to God. Now, we are out of time, but if you'd like to see it, um, I just want to say this lastly. I don't have time to read it. I thought I might have time. We don't, but if you'd like to read these, on November 1st, 19, I mean, November 1st, 1777, I don't care what history has tried to tell you. Maybe you learned it as a kid in a secular school, and maybe some of you kids here are hearing it in your schools. They are liars that are telling you that this government was not godly. Separation of church and state was going back to what happened in the 1600s because you couldn't have your word. The church and the government were one. That's what separation of church and state meant. It did not mean that God was separated from the state but that the state could not control God. Do you understand? And so here it is. Here's the official Continental Congress. And what they said, I, I don't have time to read you this whole thing. I'll just tell you that they said to set apart Thursday, the 18th day of December, and it was in solemn thanksgiving and praise. It later gets moved to be in November again, but they, they decided, let's come up with it. Let's give some people time to get together. This is what it says. Just, just one blip from it. It says, in thankfulness and all these things, that it may please God through the merits of Jesus Christ mercifully to forgive and blot out our sins, that it may please Him graciously to afford His blessings on the government of these states. This was not a generic God. They mentioned Jesus Christ by name. And this is... Continental Congress, November 1st, 1777. You can find the same thing. George Washington makes it an official day in 1789. Now the war is over, and he says that we should make this day. They bring it back to Thursday, the 26th day. And again, he talks about this glorious God, and I just don't have time here for his care, for his protection, for his manifold mercies. This is what he says. And... The Thanksgiving that you celebrate was still not officially established until Abraham Lincoln, when Abraham Lincoln took all of this heritage. He took it from the pilgrims, and, to, and throughout history, they were celebrating these days of thankfulness to God. And finally, um, they're in the middle of the Civil War. And Abraham Lincoln says, uh, right in the heart of it, in the heat of it, he says, even though we're in the Civil War, uh, we need to boost 
our soldiers and boost America. And, and we need to actually just stop what we're doing and realize he makes a note in his prayer in the official documentation. This is the official proclamation that goes out for the whole North at the time, 1863. And he sends out this proclamation, and, and it says, and you can read it in your own time, but Yes, we've been at war, and yes, it's hard, but I can't, we can't deny that God has actually blessed our iron ore, and he's blessed the workers, and he's blessed all these things, even in the midst of all this stuff that's going on, and it was, it was horrendous what's going on. And he says, they are the gracious gifts of the Most High, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins, this is Abraham Lincoln's words saying that the Civil War He's noting that the Civil War was God dealing with them. He said, though he's dealing with us in anger for our sins, nevertheless, he's, uh, he says, and I'm just trying to just abridge this, uh, he's, he says, no human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High, and it seemed fit to me and proper that we should solemnly and reverently and gratefully acknowledge this last Thursday and goes on giving all the glory to God. Isn't that amazing? It's not a history lesson. This is a, this is a Bible story in America. This is men and women who put God first. There was always, always, always Satan was in the garden with Adam and Eve. Don't forget. But we don't tell the story of Satan's garden, do we? They try to say this is Satan's America. It is not Satan's America. Just because he was in America, just like he was in the garden, it was God's garden. Praise God. And it was God's land. You know, Egypt was the devil's, and yet God conquered them and showed them who God was. The wilderness they went into, you do your studies, it was devil's territory, and God showed the wilderness who's boss. The promised land was the devil's territory, and God showed that land who's God. And so you see, just because Satan was in this nation, and certainly he was even in our governments, and he's certainly in our government today, God has had his hand on this nation from the beginning, and it was always his purpose. If you really look and read, this was just a very small abridged story that I'm giving you, you will see that God has been a part of us from the beginning, and and the atrocities and all of the stuff that has happened along the way, they like to highlight those, but God was here to establish a place where we could have religious freedom, which we have. The reason we're here today is attributed, at least in part, there were others, but to these pilgrims. So we should be thankful to God, thankful to these men and women who paved the way for us here today. So Lord, we're just going to end it with a prayer. Lord, on this Thanksgiving weekend, we just thank you. We give thanks to you for what you've done for us. I thank you, Lord, that we can stand and pray. We can read your word. We can study in freedom. We can seek you on our own again like you wanted all along because men and women knew that that's who you are and who you needed to be, and that's how you should be worshipped. And so, Lord, you paved a way for that to happen. And so, Lord... As this nation is trying to morph and change again, I pray, Lord, that 
We remember our roots, remember our forefathers, remember those who paved and paid a price, Lord, with their lives and with their blood for us. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, and just give you glory and honor and praise for everything that you've done for us. And Lord, it's your plan, not ours. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Praise God.